the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. So he lived on earth to please and to glorify Christ. That was exactly Paul's perspective, and it needs to be our perspective. Paul sought only to please Christ as his slave and not man, and so he was free then to speak out against these false teachers regardless of what he had to say because they were denying and distorting the gospel. And somebody had to say in the strongest of languages, they're wrong. The Apostle Paul didn't back off from confronting false teaching since he knew that that was his duty as a servant of Jesus Christ. That knowledge gave him the confidence he needed to boldly declare that the false teachers in Galatia were wrong. And that's what the book of Galatians is all about. Teachers had come in to try to convince the Gentile believers that they needed to keep the Jewish law in order to be followers of Christ, thus adding an element of works to faith in Christ. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a daily radio Bible class with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These studies are taken from his sermons at Lakeside. Paul was compelled by what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You see, he wanted God's approval at the Bema judgment seat. Not for salvation, that's a different judgment, but to hear the words, well done. Here's Pastor Steve. So the way Paul lived, he tells us here, was dictated by the truth that he would someday stand before Christ, look into his face, and give an account for the way he lived. And so he purposed that he would live in such a way right now that pleased Christ. That was his only consideration, his only consideration. It was his ambition, he says, to be pleasing to him by obeying his word. But what helped him develop that ambition was the fact that he had his eye on eternity. So I ask you, do you ever think about eternity? As you go through your day, as you're at work, at home, whatever, do you ever think about it? Do you ever think that this life will soon be passed and that someday you're going to stand before Jesus Christ and this will be a distant memory? Do you ever stop and think about it? One man who did was Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is one of my spiritual heroes. He lived in the American colonies before we were actually a nation in the early to mid-1700s, and he is still considered by many today to be America's greatest theologian. As one becomes familiar with Edwards, as I have been trying to do through his writings and from what his many biographers have written about him, it becomes apparent that this is a man who walked with God. In fact, outside of the Apostle Paul, and this is just my opinion, Jonathan Edwards strikes me as perhaps the godliest 
and most spiritual man that I have ever read about. What was the key to his godliness? Well, what was it that made Jonathan Edwards such a man who pursued Christ? It was the fact that he was determined to live on earth in such a way that when he arrived in heaven, he would have no regrets. He said that. Here's what one of his biographers, Ian Murray, said about Edwards and his view of eternity. Murray writes this, For Edwards, the life breath of religion, and by religion he means his relationship with Christ, the life breath of religion is the thought of the world to come. This is the key to understanding Edwards. To take eternity out of the equation, his life looks very different. Think only of the trials, and Murray mentions a number of them, and the story of his life may look like a failure, but Edwards saw it differently. I acted, he could say, against all influence of worldly interest because I greatly feared to offend God. He feared offending God, and the reason that Jonathan Edwards so feared offending God was because he knew that he would stand before him someday, look into the face of Jesus Christ, the God-man, and give an account for the way he lived on earth. And so he lived on earth to please and to glorify Christ. That was exactly Paul's perspective. And it needs to be our perspective. Paul sought only to please Christ as his slave and not man. And so he was free then to speak out against these false teachers, regardless of what he had to say, because they were denying and distorting the gospel. And somebody had to say in the strongest of languages, they're wrong. They're accursed by God. Now let's put all this together so we can understand where Paul is headed in his line of reasoning, and why he's about to give us, as I've said, so much personal information about himself. I remind you, in light of the fact that he has denounced the Judaizers for preaching a false gospel, and has asserted that the message he preaches is the only true valid one, and he has defended himself against the charge that he's a man-pleaser, Paul now proceeds to state why his gospel is the right one. He said it's the right one. Why is it, Paul? Why do you make such a claim? It's because this message, he tells us, was given to him by divine revelation. That's it. That's the only thing that makes this this gospel valid. God gave it. In other words, unlike the Judaizers, he didn't get his message from men. No man taught it to him. No one told him about it. And he certainly didn't invent such a message. Now, as as we've already noted, and I just remind you, in verses 11 and 12, which we'll see today, Paul says that God is the source of his gospel message. Then from verses 13 until the end of the chapter, he will begin, as we will see next week, to argue his point by giving us a brief biographical sketch of his life that proves that his gospel did not and could not come from anyone but God. So let's get into our text, and we want to see this morning Paul's declaration that his gospel was received by divine Revelation, verse 11, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me, it's not according to man. What a profound statement. What an incredible statement that ought to be meditated on by all of us. The first thing Paul asserts is that the gospel message that he preached about Christ saving sinners solely on the basis of faith in him and his death on the cross, he says it was not according to man. What does he mean by this? He means that the message that he preached to the Galatians and to everyone else, frankly, who would listen to him was not something that was made up by anybody. It wasn't invented. I like the way Philip Ryken in his 
book on Galatians puts it. He writes, the gospel is not man's good news about God. It is God's good news for man. It's exactly what it is. It is God's good news about salvation in Jesus Christ directly revealed to Paul as well as all the other apostles and then written down for us as the Holy Spirit guided them, supernaturally guided these men so that what we have today is an inspired, infallible, and inerrant Bible. The Bible is not simply the word of God to us. The Bible consists of God's words to us. Every word is God breathed out. Now, folks, here's something important to consider, and I think something that should strengthen our faith, should encourage your confidence in the the Scriptures as God's Word, because this is something logical to think of. Even if Paul hadn't made such a clear declaration, as he did here in verse 11, that the message that he preached didn't come from men, it would be so patently obvious that this was the case just from a reasonable logical standpoint, because no man, no man would ever invent a religious message and say the things that Paul's gospel said. No one would. What, what man-made religious message would paint men and women as wicked sinners? None. But that's what the Bible does. That's what Paul did. He says, we have no intrinsic righteousness to impress God with. He says, we're dead in sins and trespasses. He said, we're hostile towards God. He paints man as the most vile, rebellious creature. Who would do that if this wasn't God's message? Because if a man had invented the gospel that Paul preached, he would certainly not have stressed the things that Paul stressed, man's sinfulness, Christ's cross, God's mercy, grace in Christ. If a man was the author and the source of this gospel, you know what he would have done? He would have exalted man the worm, would have exalted man, would have exalted man's goodness. We would have heard all about how wonderful people are and how much they can achieve and how by their good works they can go to heaven. That is a hellish message. Paul didn't say that. Man would have said that if he's the author of the Bible, but he's not. It's not what Paul's message said because he tells us here his gospel was not according to men. So if Paul's message wasn't made up by any man, then where in the world did it come from? And how did Paul learn such a gospel that taught grace and mercy and not human achievement as the way of salvation? After all, the man was raised a Pharisee. So how did, how did he get this change? How did he get any message like this? Well, he goes on to explain in verse 12 where his message of justification by faith alone came from. Beginning in verse 12 says this, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. Paul explains he didn't receive his gospel from man, meaning that he didn't receive this teaching about salvation by grace from a theological school of thought handed down from one generation to another. In other words, he's saying there was no rabbinical school of thought that within Judaism that thought this way, and they just passed it on to the next generation, and finally I got hold of it. He said, no, I didn't receive this teaching from any rabbinical school of Judaism. Nor, he says, was he taught the gospel by any man, meaning that no human teacher gave him any formal instruction on the truths that he now preached. Now, let me put Paul's words into a more, shall we say, contemporary 
setting so that you'll understand exactly what he's getting at when he tells us that the gospel he preaches didn't come to him. In a more contemporary setting, he would say, listen, nobody witnessed to me. Nobody shared the gospel with me, nor did I read it in a tract that somebody handed to me or I found lying around, nor did it come to me because I took a class at a local church where somebody explained to me the plan of salvation and taught the fundamentals of the faith. I didn't get it that way. Paul said that he didn't get his message from any human being, whether it was from a past generation of rabbis who held to a certain way of thinking or from someone in the present who sat down with him and gave him some private tutoring and instruction. So where did Paul get his message of salvation by faith alone in Christ from? He got it from God. Verse 12 goes on to say, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Incredibly profound words. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul said that the gospel he preached was not an invention of any man, nor was it a tradition handed down to him, nor was it something that he learned from any human teacher, not even, by the way, another apostle. That's why he'll go on to say in this chapter that after I was converted, I didn't rush up to Jerusalem and consult with the apostles. That's his point. I didn't, I didn't sit down with them in a conference rooms and say, teach me everything Jesus told you for the last three years. Paul said, I didn't do that. Rather, he says, it came to him, note this, by way of direct, and that's the key, direct revelation. In fact, he called it a revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning either that it was Jesus who did the revealing or that Jesus was the one who was revealed. Most likely, Paul means that God the Father directly revealed Christ and the gospel of grace to him apart from any human agency, because this is how Paul puts it, in verses 15 and 16, when he says this, but when God who had set me apart from my mother's room and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me, he says, God the Father revealed Christ to me. And that's probably what he means here in verse 12. Regardless of whether Christ did the revealing or he's the one revealed, it really comes out the same way. This revelation we know took place because the book of Acts tells us about it, when Paul was on the road to Damascus as the Lord blinded him physically, but opened his eyes spiritually. Now, I want to address something because some of you may go from here and it might dawn on you this afternoon if you think about this message. And wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying, did he say that Paul uh, heard the gospel first from, from God, but didn't Paul hear the gospel from other Christians? Didn't he know stuff about Jesus? Yes, he did before he was converted. It is true. Prior to Paul's conversion, he knew a great deal of information about Jesus. He knew a lot. He had to. He was the leading persecutor of the church. He had to know what Christians were saying. He hated what Christians were saying and what they believed but he knew what they believed, at least some of the basics of the gospel. He knew that they believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah and that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God who died for sinners and that he rose again on the third day. That's what his followers were saying. So Paul certainly knew this. He he knew all of these as facts, but he had never received them as truth in the sense of believing them. Not until Jesus spoke to him on the road to Damascus and revealed himself to him. So yes, did he know some information 
about Christ? Yes. Had he received the gospel? Not until Jesus revealed himself on the road to Damascus. See, it was at that time, on his way to Damascus, that God opened Paul's heart to believe in Christ. And all of the information that he had gathered about Christ, especially about his cross and resurrection, suddenly registered in his heart, and it made sense to him for the first time, and he believed it. And it's in that sense that the gospel was initially revealed to Paul by God. There were other revelations later on, but this was the initial one on the road to Damascus where the gospel was disclosed to him. Here's the way one Bible teacher explained Paul's experience of receiving the gospel while going to Damascus. I I love the way he puts this. That's why I want to read it to you. He writes, presumably Paul had heard some of the facts about Jesus of Nazareth before his conversion, only to reject them because they sounded like blasphemy. But when he saw the same Jesus who had been crucified, now disclosed as the Son of God and risen Lord, his eyes were opened, spiritually speaking. In an instant, he realized that he could never get right with God by keeping the law, but only by coming to Christ. Therefore, Paul received the good news from Jesus himself. Now listen, you and I will never have an experience like Paul did. Paul's experience was unique. He received the gospel through direct revelation, as did the other apostles, without any man having any role in it. You and I do not receive divine revelation like that. We receive divine revelation, but not like that. You and I receive divine revelation by reading our Bibles and not by God speaking directly to us. That's why you should be very suspicious of anyone who tells you that the Lord has spoken to them apart from the scriptures. It's not happening today. The only way that the Lord is speaking to us today is through the word of God. But listen, having said that, there is a sense in which we do receive the same gospel the same way that Paul did in the sense that the one who opened Paul's eyes and heart to the truth of salvation is the one who opens our eyes and heart to the truth of salvation too. Because it's only when God sovereignly intervenes in your life and opens our eyes that we can see him and the glorious truths of the gospel. Otherwise, you'll be blind forever. Blind forever. Once again, let's turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice what Paul says, because he's answering the question here of, well, if you're preaching so much, why aren't more people being saved? So he explains in verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Yes, there are some people who don't see it. Bright though they may be, scholarly, academically sharp, but they don't see it. It's because it's veiled. Well, why is it veiled? Well, their own sin has veiled it, covered it. But more significantly than that, verse 4 says, in, in whose case the God of this world, meaning Satan, the devil himself, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you want to know why people don't accept Christ, it is because they are blinded by their own sin and by Satan himself. And they want to remain blind. And they will remain blind 
unless God opens their eyes. Sovereignly intervenes and opens their eyes. Nobody is born into this world just kind of being open to the truth. They just have an open mind. It's not true. Not when it comes to the gospel. So Paul says in verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. For God who said, here's how it works, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul said the reason that any of us are saved is because God has shown the glorious light of the gospel into our hearts. So the question facing each of us today is this, has the Lord opened your heart, your eyes to the truth of the gospel so that you can see for yourself what you really are before God, a sinner who needs a substitute, a perfect substitute to pay for his crimes against God and to see that Christ, the God man is that substitute who became the substitute for sinners like us. Has God opened your eyes to that glorious truth? Otherwise, you may be like Paul. You may have been raised in a church to know all kinds of Bible information. Of course, Paul wasn't raised in a church, but he knew a lot about the Bible. You may have gone to Sunday school classes where you got little stars for memorizing verses. You may be able to win at Bible trivial pursuit, but you may never have grasped what it really means to receive Christ, to see yourself as a lost sinner, who has no other hope in in being forgiven apart from Christ's atoning work on the cross, his substitute work for sinners. That's what you need to see. That's what you need to cry out for the Lord to open your heart to that truth. Folks, the gospel that we believe, the gospel that we love, it's the right one. There's none other. It's the only one. It's the one that God revealed to Paul and the other apostles over 2,000 years ago. So have confidence in it. When you read Paul's writings, you read the New Testament, you are indeed reading the very words that come from the mouth of God, written in the language, the style, the grammar of these men, but God's words. If you're You're a Christian, you're a slave. You're a slave to Jesus Christ, therefore live like his slave. Not a man pleaser, not a man pleaser. Focus on the fact that someday you're going to stand before him. You want to give an account of a life that was lived for his glory. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for the glorious gospel. Thank you for shining it into our hearts, Lord. We would never have figured it out on our own because Everything in us tells us to try to work towards our own salvation. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it's the ways of death. It ends up in death. But thank you, Lord, that the way that you show us, the way that you lead us is to see the glorious truth that we're sinners, but we can be saved because Christ died for sinners like us. Lord, I pray for any here whose eyes have still been closed, though they may have a lot of knowledge about you. I pray that you'll open their hearts to the truth. And I pray for those of us who do know you, Lord, may we have more confidence than ever that the Bible is your word. May we read it as indeed what it really is, the word, the words of God. And I pray that we will live as slaves to Christ. I pray, Lord, for those who really struggle 
especially with family members, to be men pleasers who, who don't want to rock the boat. And maybe even bosses and employers and others who have um, influence in our lives. I pray that you'll help us to remember to be your slaves, Lord, and to consider that this life is fleeting. It's very temporary, and someday it'll be over. Help us to have our eyes on eternity so that when we move into eternity, we'll have no regrets. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The gospel is just amazing. As they say, no one could make up this stuff. And for sure, no one could believe it without God's intervention. We see people every day who have heard the gospel clearly related, and yet they scoff and walk away. I see that as a strong indication of the gospel's supernatural origins. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. I'm glad you joined us today. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. To learn more about Lakeside, check out the website, lakesidechapel.com. At Verse by Verse, we are grateful for and to the generous listeners who help cover the expenses of making and airing these daily broadcasts. Find out more about Verse by Verse at versebyverseradio.org. Go to the Message Archive page if you'd like to listen again to today's broadcast or to catch up on previous ones. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. Whenever someone says to me, God told me, I take what they are about to say with a huge grain of salt. Well, that's pretty much what Paul told the Galatians. He said, God gave me this gospel that I've given Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.